Thank you so much for checking out our podcast. We hope today's message encourages, inspires, and empowers you to follow after Jesus like never before. Before we get into today's teaching, I want to invite you to join us live at one of our services at any of our three campuses in West Virginia, or join us as we stream live online. For more information or to save your seat at one of our services, visit our website, iheartchurch.online. Now let's check out today's message. We're going to start a new series today called Gifts. Now, I know this is a time of year where everybody is looking for that perfect gift. They're trying to find the perfect gift for a loved one, a, a child, a grandchild, whatever. They, you know, they're, they're shopping Black Friday deals and Cyber Monday deals. And, and, and thank God, like, it's not like it was when I, I was kind of growing up and, and even just a few years ago where if you wanted to be able to get the good gift, like you had to get up at three o'clock in the morning, you had to go line, y'all remember all that craziness and stuff? Now we can just sit at home and put it in our cart and just hope that we pay for it quicker than somebody else did. Uh, that way we can get it. But I remember even working at, at KB Toy Store over here in the mall, and we had to work, uh, it was the day after Thanksgiving, we had to be there at four o'clock in the morning, and our manager, like every person had to be there, and it, I mean, it's a small, tiny little store, it used to, it was where Dick's is now, but it was way smaller at, at that time, they kind of expanded it a lot, and, and so our manager looked at us, and she was like, listen, when we open these gates, just step up against the wall, and just wait, because if you step out in an aisle, you will get plowed. Because they're going to run in, and they're going to run in the line, and then you're going to have to squeeze through, and they're going to tell you what you want, and you're going to have to be able to shop for them and all this stuff. And I'm telling you, it was like a herd of buffalo coming through. The minute that those gates went up, and everybody come plowing in and, and everything, just because they wanted to get the Tickle Me Elmo. <laughs> I mean, just... You know, got to get the right gift. And, and that's the thing that, you know, this is a time where we're looking for gifts and we want to be generous and everything. But we serve a generous God who gives good gifts to his church. And we're going to look over the next few weeks of some of those gifts that God gives us. And uh, two of the places where uh, it talks about specific type of gifts, of, of spiritual gifts that God gives us is in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and Romans chapter 12. And if you want to study this out a little bit more, you can go look there. It talks about some spiritual gifts that God leaves to his church. But we're going to start with Romans 12 today. In Romans 12, verse 4, it says, For as we are, in, we are one body, we are many members. And the, many, and the members do not all have the same function. So that the, though we are many, we are one body, and individually we are members of one another. We have different gifts that differ according to the grace that is given to us. So one thing that we have to realize is, is that God wants our giftings to be different. That not everybody is going to have the same gifts. You know, sometimes it's easy to look and begin to compare ourselves to other people that have gifts that may be more out in front and, and become either jealous or insecure or be like, well, I don't really have anything to offer. But here he says, if you are a part of the body of Christ, you have a gift. It may look a little bit different, 
But there's a different grace that God has given each one of us in our life. And he wrote out things. And that's about the, the parts of the body. Even though the parts of our body look different, when they all function together, the body is healthy and the body is whole. And it's the same way in the church. And God puts different people around and different people with different giftings to accomplish his purposes. And then he starts listing some of them. And he tells them, he, sa he says, you need to use the gifts that you have. If you have the gift of prophecy, then in proportion to your faith, use that gift. If you have the gift of service, then serve uh, uh, then uh, serve the, the one who teaches, let him use the gift in his teaching. The one who exhorts or, or builds up and encourages in his exhortation. The one who uh, contributes, then do it with generosity. The one who leads, let him lead with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy, let him do it with cheerfulness. And so here he lists different gifts. He lists the gift of prophecy. He lists the gift of leadership. He lists the gift of giving. And, and he says, whatever gift that you have, just put it into practice. Just do something with the gifts that you have. If you even look at uh, Matthew 25 with the parable of the talents and, and, and Luke 19 with the parable of the minus, the, the, the landowner or the, the person gave gifts to everyone and the only person that they were upset with, it didn't matter about what the increase was. That, that, that didn't matter. The only person that the landowner was upset with was the person who didn't use the gift. And the problem is, is in the majority of the churches, you have 10% of the people who do 90% of the work. And so that means 90% of the people's gifts are laying dormant because either they don't recognize they have a gift or they're just too lazy to use it. But if you think about this, if we are all part of a body, if certain parts of your body don't function, then does it just hurt that part of the body or does it hurt the entire part of the entire body? The entire body is hindered. So that is why Paul is saying, we're all part of the body. You need to recognize the gifts that you have and you need to use them. Today, I want to talk specifically about the gift of prophecy. In, the, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, this is after he talks about the, he lists the spiritual gifts. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1, he says, I want you to pursue love, but I want you to earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. So I want you to seek me for the spiritual gifts. That's, that's one thing that I think in, in the body of Christ that we don't do. We seek him for the things we need from him. But we don't seek him for the things that we need to be able to do the work for him that he needs from us. Like, we, God, we want you to, to give us all these things. But yet, we know you have, a, like, we're supposed to be in a covenant relationship that's mutually beneficial to both parties. So there's a part of what God gives us and there's benefits that God gives us. But there's also something that we should give back to him. And many times we don't seek God to, uh, to, for what gifts that we have so that we can operate them, in them so that we can build his kingdom and do what he's asked us to do. But he says, I want you to desire the gifts, but he says one above the others is important. He says, especially that you may prophesy. 
And so today I'm going to look at prophecy because I think prophecy is a gift that a lot of people don't understand completely to what the Bible talks about what prophecy is. Many people, when you think about prophecy, you start thinking about end times prophecy, the the book of Daniel, the the book of Revelation and everything, and, and, and Armageddon and all of these things. But can I tell you, prophecy is far more than just end times prophecy. Other people may think about, well, if I prophecy means that you're going to tell me what's going to happen in my future, like kind of fortune telling. And there are times in Scripture, and especially through the Old Testament prophets, they would say, hey, this is what God's getting ready to do. And, and they would bring warnings or they would bring instructions or, or things, and they would kind of tell of some things that would happen in the future. And, and so fortune kind of future telling is one aspect of the way that a gift can be demonstrated, the gift of prophecy can be demonstrated. But another way that the Bible teaches that prophecy is used is simply in speaking words of encouragement. Now, one of the things that when we went to Cyprus that we kind of became aware of and, and, and everything is that uh, Barnabas, you remember uh, uh, Paul and Barnabas that, that, that a lot of times we always label it that way. It's like Paul and then Barnabas. And like Barnabas was, was Paul's sidekick. Like you got Batman and Robin. Right? You, you know, that, and, and so we always kind of look at Barnabas as that's Paul's sidekick. Paul was the man who, and then Barnabas was the one who just was there to serve. But yet Barnabas wasn't just a servant. In fact, Barnabas was very responsible for Paul even being accepted by the church in general at all. And when you look at the person Barnabas in Scripture, his name, his given name is not Barnabas. In Acts chapter 4, it says, Now Joseph, who was a Levite of Cyprian, uh, birth, so he's he's from the island of Cyprus, which also is called Barnabas uh, by one of the by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement. This guy named Joseph was so responsible for building up and and encouraging people that they changed his name. They didn't even know him as Joseph anymore. They knew him as Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. And Barnabas was like I said, responsible for getting Paul to be accepted. In Acts chapter 9, verse 26, it said that uh, he had came to Jerusalem and he, he attempted to join the disciples talking about Paul, but they were afraid of him. No wonder. They just heard about the stories or saw him being there ordering the, the murder uh, uh, of Stephen and, and they knew that he was out to, uh, to hurt the church and to arrest people so the church and the disciples and are, are afraid of him because they didn't believe it. They thought this was just an act of him becoming a disciple. It says, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and he declared how that he had seen uh, on, on the road that he had seen the Lord. And when he spoke to him, how in Damascus that he had been preaching boldly in the name of Jesus. So Barnabas saw something in Paul 
enough to the point of where he was willing to risk his reputation with the disciples to go and vouch for him and say, no, this is a true man of God. I've heard this guy preach. This isn't an act. He, he really can speak. He, he, God's done something in his life. You see, Barnabas had this gifting of being able to, uh, where all the other people were afraid of him, even Ananias who went and prayed when Saul was blinded. Ananias was like, God, I've heard about this guy. Like he's persecuting the church and he was afraid to go. But Barnabas didn't allow his fear. He saw something in Paul and he brought him in there and helped him become who he was supposed to be. And this is just a question that kind of came across my mind, how many people have we turned away in the church or rejected in the church because there weren't enough Barnabases in the church? There weren't enough people to believe in. The, the church was sitting back so much watching, well, I, I, I'll believe it when I see it. Oh, I give it three weeks and then it will change. Oh, I don't know. And, and, and kind of being judgmental versus seeing the potential, seeing what God is doing in their life and being willing to vouch their reputation to stand up for the person and help them be who God's called them to be. Now think about this. If Barnabas haven't stood up to Paul, Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Many of your favorite passages are probably things that Paul wrote. But who's to say whether if Barnabas hadn't brought him in and vouched for him, saw something in him, if the disciples would have ever received him? Because I don't know if y'all know this, but the disciples didn't exactly listen to Jesus all the time. I mean, he told them, you've got to go and preach the gospel everywhere. And yet, here still in the Acts chapter 9 time frame and stuff, the only reason why any of them had left Jerusalem was for a time of persecution and then it came back. And it's not until Acts chapter 10 that they finally start getting outside of Jerusalem and doing something with the gospel. It was Stephen and Philip before that who had went outside of those areas but the disciples themselves are still in Jerusalem. They may have, and God had to give Peter three dreams in a row to get his attention and send somebody to knock to wake him up out of one of the dreams for him to even go in and be among the Gentiles. Part of what prophecy is, is speaking words of encouragement. And many times, We've done the exact opposite. We've spoke words of criticism. We've put people down and everything. And in, in the book of Ephesians, Paul wrote this in Ephesians 4.29. He said, let no unwholesome. That word unwholesome can be translated negative. It can be, like, it's not just curse words. Like, I've heard this verse many times used in, you're trying to get somebody not to cuss and be like, well, the Bible says not, don't let any unwholesome word come out of your mouth. But Paul isn't talking about cursing in this particular thing. He says, let none, oh, unwholesome, or another way to translate it again is negative, proceed out of your mouth, but only words that are good for edification, according to uh, the need of the moment, so that they might give grace to the people who hear it. Another translation reads it this way, let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building up the one in need 
and bringing grace to the person who listens. Now, if you filter your words and you think about the words you say, are you building up people or are you tearing them down? Are your words bringing grace to the person? Or do people leave you feeling more discouraged than when they came and started talking to you? That word edification, I, I kind of copy and pasted this off of uh, BibleHub.com straight out of the, the Strong's. The word edification or building up, it was translated both ways there, means a building or edifice that is serving as a home, figuratively. Constructive criticism and instruction that builds a person up so that they might be a suitable dwelling place of God. Now, let me, let me say this real quick. One, there's two, two things that are very important in this definition because he uses the word constructive criticism. Now, one thing that we have to realize is some people think that the only way that you can build someone up is to tell them how great they are at everything. Oh, you're just so awesome and you're just so handsome. And, and that teacher just doesn't see your potential. They just don't understand. They just, you know, all this stuff. And we think that we have to sit there and tell them all these things. And that's the only way. But a lot of times the things that we're telling them are lies. Let's just be honest. <laughs> and I do believe we have a commandment that we're not supposed to lie, Right? But he says, put that definition back up for me. He says, constructive criticism. So part of what edification can be is criticism. Now let me go to the other side of the coin. Because some of y'all are like, I'm good at that. I love telling people what's wrong with them. Notice it says constructive criticism, not destructive criticism. Is your criticism for the purpose of making them better? Or are you just tearing them down? A couple years ago, when I was coaching basketball, I'd, I'd, I would have to, like during games and stuff, sometimes call a timeout and I would tell people, hey, you're not rebounding, you're not boxing out. And, you know, and I'm kind of giving them instructions and stuff. And you could see sometimes they would just feel dejected or they kind of want to quit or, you know, that type of thing. And I'd have to tell them, I'm like, listen, you have to understand this. Correction does not equal rejection. Like, I am not rejecting you because I'm telling you something that you did wrong. Like, and, and, and then someone's like, well, you need to kind of just do it as a group. But if I do it as a group, you know, there's five players, and if four of them are doing what's right, and one of them isn't, and I say, hey, you need to box out, I'm not letting who knows who they're not boxing out. But if I'm telling you an instruction, and I'm telling you because this is going to make you better, then it's a constructive criticism. Hey, I noticed this. You're not doing this. We need to make this correction so that you can be better at what you're doing. Not just tearing people down. And so constructive criticism, throw my definition up for me again. Is so, so we're, we're doing this for the purpose of making them into a house that God can dwell. 
where the Lord feels at home. Now think about that. Have you ever been somewhere where you didn't feel like you were valued or even wanted to be there? And it's like awkward. Does the Lord feel at home in your life? And if, if you say no, do you just want somebody to tell you all the things that you're doing right? Or would you rather someone to help you understand what's going wrong so that you can be better, so that you can be the house where God dwells? And that's where encouragement works and, 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 and edification. And that's why we, we've got to begin to do this. Paul continues that thought in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And he says this about prophecy. He said, the person who speaks in tongues speaks uh, not to men, but it speaks to God. For, and nobody can understand him because he, uh, he's uttering mysteries in his spirit. But on the other hand, if someone prophesies, he speaks uh, to the people for their upbuilding, their encouragement, and their consolation. And the one who speaks in tongues, he builds himself up. But the one who prophesies builds, the ch builds up the church. Then he goes on, he says, now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. Because the one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless there is an interpretation, so that the church might be built up. What is Paul saying and writing here? The number one function of prophecy and why it is considered the greater gift and the one that he says you need to pursue is so that the body will be built up, so that the body will be a reasonable and a good dwelling place for God. He's telling them, I want you to, I want you to build people up. And that, that word there, when it says build people up, it's the exact same word that he used in Ephesians 4.29 that meant to prepare them to be a household of God. But one of the biggest problems is, is too many times the church has echoed the accusations of the accuser versus echoing what God says about the individual. So we've placed labels that they'll never be able to change. They'll always be this and, and, and everything. And, and a lot of times we've come and, and just like... We, we, we rebuke them harshly for when they, when they make a mistake or when they do something over and over. And especially with new believers. Because with, if new believers, they're going to mess up along the way. Can I let you in on a little secret? With seasoned believers, you're going to mess up along the way. There's none of us that are walking around perfect. And a lot of times because when they mess up, we begin to rebuke them and we're harsh with them. Then they begin to form the view of God, of God being a ruler who is abusive and harsh and wanting to beat them. And they're afraid of him versus God being a shepherd. You see, a shepherd 
may have to, if a, if a sheep keeps wandering, a shepherd may have to go and break the leg or whatever. But then the shepherd takes them and carries them while they're recovering. Why? So that they can begin to smell the smell of the shepherd and know the smell. They can begin to hear the voice and know the voice. They know the staff. He's teaching them all of those things. Even when God does have to break people, he does it for the purpose of healing And when we only speak criticism without encouragement, then all we do is break people down and wound people. And so if prophecy is this greater gift and everything, then why do we not see prophecy flowing in the church more? And I think there's a few reasons. One, I've already shared, because we limit it to kind of like future telling. Like that, and, and because we don't necessarily feel that we can tell somebody what's going to have to happen or we don't have enough faith that where we feel like God's stirring something in us to tell them what's going to happen, then, then we, we don't say anything at all. When really sometimes prophecy is just looking at somebody and encouraging them not to give up because you see, just simple thing, of I see change in you. I see God's doing something. That last time, if that would have happened to you, you would have went off on them, cussed them out, screaming, ranting, and raving, and you didn't. You walked away. That's fruit. That's progress. I can see God working in you, and I'm telling you, man, that would go so much farther in helping people come out from among the world and separate themselves from the world. Second thing is because there's teaching in the church, it says prophecy has ceased. Out of 1 Corinthians 13, same passage, okay? 1 Corinthians 12, Paul says there's a gift of prophecy. Okay, 1 Corinthians 13, there's a passage. There, go ahead and pull it up. In verse 8, it says, love never fails, but as for prophecy, it will pass away. Plain and simple. Prophecy's done, right? As for tongues, it will cease. As for knowledge, it will be passed away. For now we know in part... But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. So it seems as if Paul is saying prophecy is no longer going to take place, right? This is yes. This is no. I mean, it says it. You see it on the big screen up there. It will pass away. Okay, but remember something here. This is a letter. And chapter 14, which comes after 13 for all you math majors, 13, 14, right after he says it's going to fade away, he says, you need to desire the gift of prophecy. It's the greatest gift. Right after that, he says, I want you all to speak in tongues. Why would he tell them, I want you all to seek a gift that's getting ready to go away? Why would he tell them to, to, uh, to desire, that he had a desire for them to, to operate in a gift that's getting ready to go away? If it's going to be discontinued. That's one thought. Another thought is it says, when the perfect comes. I don't know about you, but things aren't perfect right now. And that word perfect means completion. Now, some people would just say, well, that's the completion of the scripture, but that's not what he said. He didn't say 
when the, when the word of God is there. He said, when the perfect comes. I believe this is talking about Jesus coming back and all things being made new and all things being completely restored. But I'll give you a third thing. The third thing is you never determine a doctrine off of one verse. Peter never said prophecy will end. John never said prophecy will end. Nowhere else in scripture will you see where it says prophecy and the gifts are going to end. This is the only place. But many other places you will see where they're encouraging people to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, to operate in the gift of the Holy Spirit, and to prophesy. Not to mention, I'll give you a bonus one here. Acts chapter 2. In the last days, your sons and daughters will what? I thought the gift was over. I guess we're bringing it back for a repeat. We're just going to let it operate again. There's far more scriptures that talk about this being important. Just think about this. If you were the enemy and you knew that prophecy is one of the greatest gifts that's going to build the body of Christ to be a suitable home for God, wouldn't you try to convince them it didn't work anymore and it wasn't for today? I'm not saying that people don't get crazy in this stuff. But people do crazy things with iPhones and you still use them. People do crazy things in a vehicle and you still drive. People do crazy things with money and you still spend it. So if we're going to eliminate everything from our lives that people abuse or misuse or do crazy things with, then I will take all your money. If you got a better iPhone than me, you can bring it to me and I'll trade you out. You got a vehicle, I got a couple kids that need a vehicle. I can help you with those problems and I can find other people that would take the same thing, same offer, I promise. And now, like I said, I think the other thing is just a fear of being wrong. And if you're afraid of being wrong, then the way to do, like, the Bible says in John, my sheep know my voice. So our faith in knowing him comes by, like, spending time with him. We have to know his voice. I, I was talking to the the uh, people in Cyprus because in, in Cyprus they talk a lot about Barnabas and how he was the son of encouragement. And I'm telling you, like, the way they minister and stuff is like, it's like there's this anointing for encouragement that's there. And when we went there, Melody shared this when we came back, that she had taken a, a four-week sabbatical and, and still kind of was worn out and exhausted and everything. And we took one week where two, day, two times out of it, we're traveling 30-plus hours, and, and we're traveling all over the country and seeing all these different things. And in all the work and all the chaos, she felt more encouraged and refreshed. And the reason why is because of the ministry that was taking place there. And so I asked them, I, I sent them a text when I was preparing this sermon, I said, what are some things, because I know you guys know all the history of Barnabas and everything, because, you know, he's from Cyprus and all that. What are some things that you would, you would share? And, 
And they shared some different things about, you, you know, uh, he, he, was, he was a Levite and, you know, just different things like that. But one of the things that, that one of the guys shared, he said this. He said, our prophetic ministry to people comes second to our ministry to God. In other words, like, and I know we don't see it, but when we spend time in prayer, when we spend time in the presence of God, when we spend time in worship, the Bible talks about how the prayers of the saints are like the incense that rises up before God, that our worship and everything, that that comes before God. When we do that, we're ministering to the Lord. Like we're, we're giving him our, our love and our adoration and everything. He rec he's receiving from us. It's, it's the, the, the one thing that we have. And the more that we spend time in, in, in his presence and, and, and pouring out our, our love and, and, and things to him and listening for his voice, the more familiar we become with his voice. Every day when we were in Cyprus, we started out, they start out the day, they, they build a, a little, it's a circular room. About 15 to 20 people can fit in and they go in and they just begin to worship and, and uh, spend some time in prayer and then just allow God to do whatever. Like when we were there, the first day we were there, we were in there for two hours. The next day we were in there for three and a half hours. Just spending time in the presence of God. And they're just playing, literally, they, they were just playing a guitar back in between G and C and just back and forth. And then people just begin to sing like a verse or something that just came to their heart or, you know, or begin to read a verse of encouragement or begin to you know, share something that they felt like God was speaking to them and stuff. And actually I have a little short video clip. Melody recorded one aspect of it and put it down. I just want you to see this. I want to show you it's not anything that has to be too complex or crazy. Check this video real quick. So if you notice that, like there's nothing crazy and complex there. You heard a little cajon in the back playing the guitar, just singing whatever's on their heart. You hear some people in the background that are praying in that moment. And right after we have this period of time of worship, they begin to share a word with us. And they said, we feel like uh, a couple of them begin to prophesy some things. And I'm telling you guys, they were saying things that no one else knew. They were telling us things that me and Melody had talked about. Pastor Jeremy, Pastor Quentin, a couple people may have known about some of the things that we were talking about. They told the exact thing that I saw our Sophia building being done in the, in the upper part of our Sophia building, they began to prophesy exactly what it was supposed to look like and how it was supposed to happen. And I'm just looking over Melody like. And it wasn't, listen, it wasn't them telling me their, 
my, my future. It was them confirming what God had already been speaking to me. And then, after they go through some of those things, one of the, one of the girls that was there, and she, she just said, uh, when I was praying for you, I felt like God gave me a passage of Scripture. And I want to read it to you. She began to read from Ezekiel 47. And in Ezekiel 47, it talks about that there's this river that's flowing from the throne room of heaven. And that this river, that it, it, when it hits the salt waters, it makes the salt water fresh. And it says that this river is full of many fish and, and all of these things. And, and as it touches the borders of the land, that everywhere that there's land, there were these fruit trees that were growing up. And the fruit trees had new, fresh fruit every single month. And it says that their, their leaves never withered. And it says that their, their fruit was for food, but their leaves were for healing. So it brings life. Okay, so... They read that scripture, and they ha we had it. They actually recorded. They they, they kind of get used to when when somebody feels like they got a word, they, somebody would just grab their phone real quick and just start recording it, so that they had that as record. And so they sent that to us, and and we got that, and we came back. And one of the things that I felt strongly is I was like, our prayer is weak. Like just being in, like it, it's just. I, I know there's things for the way that we've done prayer and stuff, but like it just is not that once you've experienced that, and I've, I've been, I've experienced that before in Bible college in different places. And so we started coming back and started having our staff meet in the sanctuary every morning and just having the same thing. And our staff, man, they, they'd be like, I don't know what did it, we, we just started this, but we feel closer. We feel like they, they just started making all these comments. And there's times when one of our staff members is having a hard day and, and everything. And because we're all there in prayer together, the other people can be there to minister to them and encourage them. And, and so just people sharing different words and everything. So we're in this, this prayer circle. And Michelle Farr opens up her Bible and she said, uh, I feel like God just gave me a scripture. It's Ezekiel chapter 47. There is a river that flows from the throne room of God. And, and it goes through the whole thing. Reads passage, start at the beginning and the end, the exact same thing, prophesied the same thing. God's going to bring life to West Virginia. And, and it's going to flow through this. And there's not going to be things that wither away and all this stuff. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. That's the second confirmation of the exact same verse. She had no clue what we had been told in Cyprus or anything. But what is it? That's the Spirit of God. So now I was encouraged in Cyprus. Now that I come back and it's something and, and it's confirmed again, I'm like, all right, let's go. Like, I'm, I'm ready. And then two days later or, or about a week later in prayer, somebody sends uh, Sadie a text and she begins to read the passage of Scripture. And I look over at Q. I'm like, that is Ezekiel 47. Third time. But can I tell you something? We may have heard it three times in the past couple weeks, but it's not even the first time that God spoke this to me. 
When I started preparing this message, and I'm, and I'm going to share this about the, the, the Ezekiel 47 and how prophecy just confirms and how it uplifts and you're ready to go, you're built up, you, you start ministering. I was like, wait a minute. When Maria Durso was here at the RISE conference, when we were at the Clay Center, she said something about a river. And so I told him, I went and I pulled the video clip, and I want you to watch the video clip real quick. And if there was a scripture that I could think of, I thought of Ezekiel 47. And in this dry place called West Virginia, where it's the number one uh, 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 in opioid addiction and abuse, number three in foster care, the Holy Spirit said there is a river. It's the river that he promised would flow from a temple. Well, you're the temples of the living God, and there's a river flowing through you. And the Bible says everywhere that river flows, there will be life. Where there's death, there will be life. Where there's no trees, there's going to be trees. There's going to be fish of many kinds flowing in that river because you dare to believe God for West Virginia. And God is going to give you the desires of your heart because they're his desires. You have not prayed for, to be made rich. You have not prayed to be made famous. You've prayed that God would be famous. And because of that, you are going to be famous in all the earth. And people are going to know that there's a God that could change a state by the power of the Holy Spirit. Come on. Do you see when prophecy is used, in, when, when it's active, when it's allowed to be released, do you see how much encouragement it brings? God still speaks to his people. And he wants to speak through you and me to his people. But we have to release that. And he says... Paul said, I, you need to desire the gifts of the Spirit that were, he said, earnestly desire. Pursue them. Be passionate about your pursuit, especially this gift of prophecy. Because it, it builds people up. It's not about telling somebody's fortune. Because prophecy doesn't tell you, like, prophecy is really just confirming what God's already been telling you. And reminding you. I feel like God has given me a reminder that He wants us to reach this entire state. That we can't settle in and be content here. Some people might not understand, well, why do we do miracle offering? That's just trying to get money. That's no, that's trying to do our part. If God's given us a building, then we got to renovate the thing and use it for what he's given it to us for so that we can reach farther into other communities because God has not destined for us just to have a nice church here in Mount Hope. God wants us to reach this state so that people around the world can be encouraged by the people who are being set free from drug addiction and alcoholism and, and all these things so that other people can believe it for their state so that what happens here can echo throughout the United States and throughout the world when they see what God does. 
So why do we take up a miracle offering? We take up a miracle offering because we want to be a part of what God is doing in this. Why do we open up and go to different places and food trucks and all that stuff? Because we believe that God isn't just giving us this little territory. He wants us to reach the state. And he hasn't said it just once or twice. I can pull you videos from John Bevere. I can pull you videos from other people who prophesied almost the exact same thing. They just didn't say Ezekiel 47. God wants his church built up. He doesn't want us looking around, disqualifying everyone and putting everybody down and telling them why they can't be used by God. He wants us to look at the people that are around us. Let's encourage them. Not tell them a bunch of lies of what they need, what they want to hear. Tell them the truth constructively of what they need to hear so that they can be who they need to be. Come on, if you got a big booger hanging out your nose, you want somebody to tell you. You don't want to go around with that hanging out all day and wondering why everybody's looking away when they look at you. That's not to tear you down. And when the spirit of prophecy is released, even criticism builds up. But it comes when we take the time to be in the presence of God. I'm telling you, Wednesday night needs to be full. Because you need to realize that there is a river inside of you that God wants to flow into your workplace, into your school, into your community. And you need to hear the voice of God. And you need to pursue what these gifts that God wants to offer us. So that not only can we make our brother and our spouse and our kids and people that are next to us suitable homes for God, but that we can make this entire state a suitable home for God. To where almost heaven, I believe that's prophetic. Not just a nice little statement about our scenery. I believe that's prophetic about what God wants to do in our state. And he just wants us to ask. I don't know about you, but I want to ask. And I want you to join me Wednesday and ask and believe that God's going to do something. But I don't want to wait till Wednesday. I want to ask now that God will move and give us this state. Stir up gifts that have been laying dormant inside our lives so that we can be people who build people up who we find the saws and we bring them to the people who can help them become more like Jesus and then send them out to build his kingdom. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, be sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past messages. If you like what you're hearing, please rate and share. For more content, to connect with us, or if you'd like to support this ministry by giving, visit our website, iheartchurch.online. We love you and have a great day.